our teaching is coming from the book of Isaiah. Still, we're in that fourth chapter of Isaiah, and at that 11th verse, uh, first, uh, we're still looking at the characteristics of God's tenderness, and that's displayed in the incarnate Jesus Christ. It was embodied in Jesus Christ, the tenderness and the care that and gentleness in which he says he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. From there, though, they, they go out into the vastness, the, the enormity of God, uh, and just the consistency of God, uh, of what he does, and we look at him and how small we compare it measurement. And, well, there's really no uh, comparison, uh, but of his gentleness displayed. And we were talking about that the other day. I pull out of the, from doing it the other day, and I'll start there, uh, the resurrection of Lazarus. You know, how we handle people at the time of death or doing sicknesses or illness. It displays and says a lot about bouters. And here at the resurrection of Lazarus, when Mary and Martha were weeping and at the tomb, he said, he came unto him and says, John 11, chapter 33rd verse to the 35th verse is, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see and at the tomb, you know, and we get there, it says, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should have should not have died? Uh, the Greek verb there translated wealth is found only in this spot here, that word wealth in, in the fashion it was written, the Greek word. The root of it means tears. It's moved to tears. His tears was of a sentimentalist, but those of a pure <clears throat> I'm getting clogged up here. It says his tears was not those of a sentimentalist, you know, and that's what I'm afraid of looking at a lot of people in the church through their humanity their, their sentimentality of being sentimental is not strengthening physically. We can mourn with those that mourn or whatever. But here it wasn't because of being a sentimentalist or anything that he wept, more or less, but those of a pure, righteous, sympathizing high priest. In other words, the condition of the priest, of the people, he's looking at the people. He empathized in what they were feeling, and if I've had this feeling at countless funerals and at deaths and passing and things that go about, uh, and it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Reading the news yesterday and hearing about how some of the parents were wailing and the moans and signs that sighing that you could hear, 
coming from the school shooting there in Texas. Well, this guy opened up on second and third graders and killed all of them, you know. In this world, we're a, a, a state, a place, you know, where all hope is not lost, but in the condition we are in and just what is it taking to turn us to God and cause us to seek God. And it's weeping, the word twice translated weeping in verse 33 is not the same word meaning to lament loudly or to wail. That's what they were doing, wailing and lamenting loudly there in verse 33. Unlike these others, Jesus did not wail, but wept quietly with tears flowing. And sometimes when people are crying or mourning or whatever, it's the empathy that they may be feeling for the people that's left behind that this has affected or whatever. That's what I look at it as sheep and the condition uh, my church members, some of the things that goes on in our lives and things that happen, it causes me to sometimes just weep or cry, pray unto God. And it is supposed that Jesus wept only because he had lost a friend to death and because the deep mourning of Mary and Martha, but that wasn't the case. It's not the case of what's going on exactly in y'all's lives, but how are we addressing those things that are going on in our lives. What's the <clears throat> what's the reserve that you're calling on to get you through those things? Is it daydreaming or it's a, a spiritual reality that brings you closer to God and is that suffering? It says he suffered as we have suffered. Is that suffering bringing you closer to God or open up our eyes of uh, any more than what it is or what we have. As situations come about, are we in control of those situations or, or does the situation kind of control us, you know? And I, I don't want to personalize this and bring in any other people, especially my members or whatever, or problems or whatever without first consulting them or whatever. But Jesus knew what he did was going to do. He knew Lazarus was going to die, and he knew he was going to resurrect him from the grave, and it was to glorify God. That's why we see that his weeping was for some other reason or some other cause. It says uh, that as a side, he, he delayed his coming, and God had him doing something else, and that he knew he was going to raise Lazarus as a sign of his Messiahship and that the situation wasn't going to be terminal at that time for the people involved and that he was going to cause rejoicing and everything. So his weeping was because of an inner spiritual state of the people, just like when he told, he says, I am the resurrection. They said, he said, he'll live again. He said that your brother will live again. And she says, no, I know my Lord in the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. So he was looking at a people that wasn't looking at him as all of their hope was in him and that situations and causes and circumstances are only occurring to bring us closer to God and to allow us chances to glorify God. So 
They didn't draw that out of there, that he was in control of the situation. You could tell by the people that was there saying that this man that had healed the sick and all these things that he did, could he have prevented him from dying? Could God have prevented the school shooting yesterday? Could God have presented, prevented the motivated uh, the criminal uh, what was perpetrated in Buffalo, New York a couple of weeks back. Yes, he could or whatever, but everything's going according to his purpose and his plan. So we have to see that our sovereign God, that he is our shepherd and that he's leading us in some of the ways he leads us by still waters, but sometimes as he's preparing a place for us, there will be tumult. There will be tumultuous circumstances arise. There will be death. There will be the event, event of loss a lot of times. But we have to, uh, we incorporating it that, you know, I, I'm, I'm compassionate, trying to be compassionate. We try to be compassionate with others or whatever. And we learn it is right to sympathize when others are in infliction or whatever. For the Bible says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that that weep. Uh, uh, so sorry at the death of a friend and consoling a friend or whatever, that's good and that's part of the tenderness that God wrought in his people. And I, like I said, I've been in a Pentecostal church for a few years or whatever. I married while I was in a Pentecostal church. And some of the things that they do or whatever is it's not strengthening to some of the people that are not part of that religion or not as spiritually strong. And a lot of their rejoicing or putting on a good face is not empathizing with the family and I've I seen that during Jewish times or whatever that's why we rent, we read to where he says sin for the mourning women or sin for those that lament at a funeral because it's a reason he left death here and it's a reason he left a lot of the things to happen and those things were left to grow us they're left to grow us so we shouldn't just look at those situations as ends in themselves. We see in, in this miracle an instance of tenderness of the character of Jesus. The same Savior who wept over Jerusalem and felt deeply for others in their sins to the same tender and compassionate Savior we now come, knowing that he will not cast us away, that he wants us to bring us, our problems to him but the way in which our problems are addressed or the redress that we get from our problems or whatever, we need to see that there's a lesson of that. God's teaching us something that Christ has came to comfort us with his word in that we seek for solace in the word of God and through the spiritual teaching and equipping of the saints that these situations don't destroy us things happening and circumstances and the other day I was trying to comfort someone and I couldn't quite comfort them because they was allowing the situations to bring them to the point that it didn't look like a sheep at that time and that's why it says be angry and sin not because 
sometimes those circumstances as God's trying us during those circumstances, we think of being vindictive or vengeful or not being a sheep at those times. And we have to keep the characteristics of the sheep through the word of God when it says resist not the devil. I mean resist evil and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Maybe the suffering and the situations are being sent unto us to humble us. That God is, as a sovereign God, working something in our lives. Because if we God's flock, and it says God shall feed his flock like a shepherd, he shall gather the lambs with his arms. So if he's embracing us, and I'm doing my job as a shepherd in feeding the flock, we have to deep dig deep down within to find strength to overcome every circumstance or situation that we are placed in. We have to find God in that situation and circumstance where it says stir up the spirit that's within you. Stir it up. Sometimes it takes digging deep within us and if we're feeding on the word of God that's where our strength and our resources come that's why we sing psalms or sing hymns or uh, study the Word of God and giving ourselves to looking in the Word of God for that solace that we so need because He's then fed us and He's given us His Word. He has sent His Word to heal us. His Word saved us. Everything is in that Word. So we, we shouldn't let the things of this life tear us apart because we see suffering is a part of that. So when we're suffering... Are we growing from that suffering? Are we overcoming that? I'm not saying be naive about it. That's why I say we have to pull from the spiritual side. There's tearing up and building, building, doing these tragic situations. We should take them to grow in the Lord. Sometimes it's showing us something about other people or some things that we're not doing are some things we have to do in life to be strengthened. Zechariah 9, 6, 9, chapter 16 through the 17th verse. I don't know if I read this Sunday or night. It says, The Lord their God will save his people in that day as a shepherd caring for his sheep. They shall shine in a land as glittering jewels in a crown. How wonderful and beautiful all shall be. The abundance of grain and grapes will make the young men and girls flourish. They be, will be radiant with health and happiness. So if we are in the jewel of the, the word of God, we should as a church start, start to overcome and not see the despondency that we're seeing in the church and the people of the church in the things in the world that's affected them and that they should be growing out of that, overcoming that. In other words... The same thing not happening to you over and over again which signifies a lack of growth. The problems and the things should be changing and the divisions and the problems that we be, we're running into is because we're growing in the word of God and that as sheep we're being fed to be strong and overcome because a sheep is a real defenseless animal. A sheep is a 
animal that's peculiar, we need to sometimes read some of the characteristics of sheep and what go on with sheep. But the sheep is just a metaphor of, 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 of what God's people are, uh, how he's looking at his people, but it's character building within those sheep, just like the lamb that's going to come back. It's not going to be the same lamb that left. The meek, mild, humble Jesus will come back. We'll still see that side of Jesus. His people will see that side of Jesus. But in the day of the Lord, the people will see a judgmental face. They'll see the wrath of God come. They'll, they'll see the judgments and the rewards come to those that had mistreated his flock, that had done a, a, against the word of God as the word of God is being fulfilled. So he says in Luke, fear not little flock for it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom so in giving the kingdom some of those things that he's going to give us right here on earth as we be strengthened in the Lord he's going to give us the ability to walk in his word and prosper in the Lord but he's not we're not going to be able to share that with the heathen to share that with others that are not of his flock that are not of his fold in other words it's going to be a time of dividing. It's going to be a time of dividing within the home, within the flock. It's going to be judging sheep against sheep. It's going to be a time that's never been before, and we have to be ready. That's why he gave the pastors and teachers to the church for the equipping of the saints. We must know how to skillfully use the word of God to bring about these things because it says, the armor of the Lord is going to accomplish these things. Yes. In the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, 29th verse says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So we have those, and I see those within families and within homes, within jobs, and just within the world that's leading some of the flock astray, but also they're denigrating the flock they're they're eating a, a consuming all that the flock has these are the ones that are the weak the lame the ones that are cast down that's why he goes back and he holds some in his arm those that are fragile there are some that were scattered that may have been married or may have had children or may have been on different jobs and places that they shouldn't have been and they will suffer loss. They'll suffer loss. They will be saved, but they'll suffer loss because they wasn't walking according to their calling. And as we start hearing the voice of shepherd, it's gonna draw us to the place that we should be. It's gonna put us in the right place in the body of Christ. And it's losing some of the things we shall lose. We will kind it all gain because it's. It was a weight and a sin that we didn't see as a weight and sin. It really was a curse and not a blessing in which we thought it was a blessing to be that way. It says, none that the Father gives him will be lost according to second John, the 6th chapter, the 37th verse through the 39th verse. And uh, that during this time of separation of this feeding of the flock, this seven years tribulation that's coming about, it's only the strong, he says, that's going to grow 
in the Lord and, and the growth in the Lord actually he's talking about is spiritual growth and that comes from taking heed to the word of God not just hearing the word of God because a lot of us are hearing the word of God through false shepherds but if if it's the word of God that's why even the false prophet is charged with preaching the word of God because that word has to accomplish a purpose and sometimes it's to draw the, the, the flock away from the false shepherds. It's the flock that's been scattered. His words go cause them to be gathered from wherever they are. He's going to gather them up in his arms so his word is accomplishing this purpose. That's why he says in feeding the flock of God we're preaching the word and continually preaching the word of God. Listen to Ezekiel the 34th chapter. He says, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in that day, he is among his sheep that are scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. All of that's metaphorical poetry that it's been darkness, but now the light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended the light not, because as this word of God is going out, it's going to tear up homes, it's going to tear up marriages, it's going to tear up families, it's going to tear up jobs. I was reading the day where Canada, the Canadians are preparing their borders and everything for the fall of the United States of America. Because other nation and other people, they're starting to see what's about to transpire in the earth. And that, that's why I try to work so hard to try to give the word of God out and do it as a missionary also to where others would hear that sound going out. And wherever we are, if we speak the word of God and be patient and still those that are the lords are going to come to the word of God. He's seeking about by us just sounding out his word, lifting it, him up. He said, if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. So in doing his word, we have to keep this tenderness as a, of a shepherd, but also with the shepherd's staff, we must use, must use it also to drive the hostile wolves away. We must use it to drive those away that would cause division in the church. That word also condemns. That word also causes some to be lost. Those that are, are not believers shall be dead. In the book of Luke, the first chapter of Luke, is a very, very long chapter. We're looking at the 77th verse to the 79th verse. And it says, And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through this, the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high had visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And we know he's talking about Jesus, but... Seems as though he's talking to the believer also to be a light that so shines, giving out the word of God so that those that sit in darkness, those that are places 
in places that are not hearing the word of God. And that's why I say that are not hearing the word of God because there's a lot of people in churches that are hearing the word of God and they are devils. They are the ones that's keeping God's people in bondage. They are spots in our feast and that they are not afraid of, of, of dwelling in there. But it's the word of God. It's God's spirit that's going to drive them away. That's why he tells us to fret not thyself because of evildoers, for they shall soon be passed away. But this trials of fire, fire that's going to try the believer and the unbeliever and cause this separation. Look in the book of 1 Corinthians where it says that we'll be tried by fire in any man's work that he, whatever he built, whatever he built, whatever he's dependent upon, if it's not on Christ Jesus, it shall be it shall be lost. So there's a lot of people within the church that are not building according to the word, and that's why when he told Peter to feed his sheep, we should feed and speak those things which become sound doctrine. The book of Titus tells, tells talks about sound doctrine and those things that become the word, that, that the word is there and it's that cornerstone and those things that abide is the word of God. So if it's some doctrine that has leaven in it, that's going to be shaken. The foundation shall be shaken. All that you believe in is going to be shaken. That that's not right it wasn't left up to in private interpretation and a lot of us built up on private interpretations because the person that allowed that those things were built by were idols that we allowed to exist in our lives. So with tenderness, he's going to remove those idols out of our lives because a lot of those idols could be our children. It could be our spouses. And they can be anyone that's close to you or those that are far apart. But it's removal by the word of God. So we, we, we shouldn't be jubilant about these things. But also we shouldn't allow it to tear us apart. That's why it says, let not your heart be troubled. So we have to see the sovereignty of God. That he's dealing with us in mercy and with tenderness. And the way he handles us. No salvation is possible without forgiveness. And that's the problem in a lot of churches with the saints of God or, or people that are so-called saints of God. They're hard-hearted. They're not forgiven. And now a time of sowing and reaping, God's allowing a time in that which you have sown to return that up on you. And the way you've judged the matter, we shall be judged in those same ways. So our Father cannot forgive our sins on the grounds of justice, and therefore he does it so through his mercy. That's why it says a merciful high priest. So we have to believe in Jesus Christ because he's the one that justifies us. We have to be in right standing with him. But that's dealing with the mercy of God. He has made himself our God by giving us grace, and that's something that's undeserved favor. That's what grace is. So that's how he's going to deal with us. And we should see that. We should be embracing that and see where is he working, how is he working in our home? What is he showing us? Because 
Some of us are blinded by the light or some of us are so blind we don't even see God working. We have drifted so far away that we've become so dull of hearing and we're not seeing what God is showing us. He passes by the transgression of his people because he delights in mercy. He is so full of pity that he delays to condemn us in our guilt but looks with loving concern upon us to see how he can turn away his wrath and to restore us to favor because we have transgressed God. A lot of us have done things that transgress God that are wrong, so we've gotten ourselves in the wrong situations, but God's trying to deal with us and get us out of those situations, but his word has to be adhered to because if not, you can hold on to those things, those weights and sin that's besetting you from running the race. You're not being obedient to God. You're not hearing his word. The shepherd may be feeding you. And all the time, you thinking this is being spoken to somebody else or about somebody else, and it's directly to you. It's directly to what's going on in your life, and you can't see what's pulling you down or what's dragging you away. That's because you're not praying unto God and facing the hard decisions. You've seen those things, but you don't have the faith to allow God to, to work in that, to move it out of the way. You have, Your carnal self is embracing it. It's holding on to it. And sometimes you have to go through the suffering. You have to go through the breaking of the tearing apart but we still trying to mend something that's broken and that's been broken can't be repaired. And instead of throwing it away or letting loose of it, we keep binding ourselves to it. And it's a horrible lesson for us to learn. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is called, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and blessing and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? We've done something to get in trouble. A lot of times people say, well, you've done it too or whatever. But God may not treat you the same way he's treating him. That person's transgressions may be forgiven because he says it's up to him to forgive sin. And he's chosen certain ones. So it's going to look like an unfairity on God's part. And Job was talking about about how the wicked it was prospering, how their calves are multiplying and their children are living a life or whatever. Okay, I understand that. That's what I say. It's a lot of things that's happening on the world of people in the world. It rains on the just and the unjust, but you have to get an understanding from God for him to pass over your transgressions. Why is he putting you through what he's putting you through? So that what you need is the word of God to trust him in all situations. To, to give you an understanding because, you know, a lot of times the water or the preaching of the word is coming. That's why I was looking at Paul, Paul when he says he planted and Apollos watered. Sometimes... Some preachers preach us the word of God, but that word of God doesn't germinate, it doesn't grow. And some preacher, a different preacher comes in, God sends that preacher to water the word. 
And now we've attached to that preacher, but that word has been in us. That other preacher planted the word in us, but it's just the, the way that the other preacher preached. So it shouldn't be a division of preacher. God give it the increase, so we sh- sometimes we give credit where credit is not due. We're not giving the credit to the right person. That's why Paul says, who is I and who, who am I? Who is Apollos? Who is Peter? We're all preaching the same gospel. One planet, one watered, but God give it the increase. So the food, it, it, it's the sower that sowed the seed. It was sown in the ground. The problem wasn't with the seed, but it was the ground. Some ground of the ground brought forth different amounts of seed. But some ground, the thorns and the thistles choked the word out. So the word grew, but it was on thorny ground. It was on fallow ground. A lot of us are not digging through the word of God, not using the word of God and studying the word of God so that when someone comes along or that been praying or some kind of different way, that that could be watered, or else when a preacher is rebuking and exhorting or reviling, and his preaching, he might have to come in with the herald to break up that ground some more, and we're not taking the, the rebukes or the chastening hand of God the right way, and we don't see the correct purpose of it, thus we don't, don't weed our garden, and it choked the cares of this life, chokes the life out of us. See, you have to be a doer of the Word of God. So if the Word of God is continually being sown, the problem may be with you. You're not doing something. You're not a doer of the Word of God. You don't understand the Word of God. You've become dull of hearing. And and that could be a problem within itself. Uh, It says these are characteristics of God. So the problem is not with God because these are constant in our lives that God is a constant. He changed not. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God is a God of love and is kind, but perhaps our approach to his forgiveness has been legalized or sought the, the wrong way. Some other teacher or somebody has you indoctrinated the wrong way. We've been hearing other voices. That's why I say false shepherds are out there that's scattering the flock. Now they're going to have to give account for scattering the flock, but we have to take heed who we're listening to. I can't give account if some evangelist gets you off the trail, some televangelist that you sitting there week after week, you list, you like the personality and he's done said something that's done con- kind of confused the word. That means you like a goat. You eat everything that come along. You're not circumspect and not careful, not a good Berean to search out that which is you eat. And then second of all, you may be overindulging in the words. You may be <laughs> being a glutton in other words. You know, sometimes you can stay in church too much and hear too much of the word or whatever because you hadn't digested that little bit that you had. So why should he give you more? Because now you go trample him underfoot because you hadn't understood the little bit. You know, if I keep feeding my child faster and more and more until his digestions, digestive 
system catches up or process that which is I'm feeding him. If his body's not assimilating that, then that's a part of problem there. That's why I said well sometimes we might too much learning, too much knowledge might have puffed of us. It might have caused a problem. You know, sometimes you be hungry or whatever, and if you eat the right amount, it's good. But if you eat too much of it, you will be sicker from eating it than you would not eating it. The scripture reveals that God does kindness with intensity of will and readiness of mind. He forgives with all his heart because he delights in mercy. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies. God's nature works to give mercy, not to punish, to create beauty, not to destroy, to save and not lose. So those characteristics has to be engendered in us if we're in his image and his likeness. And his word should be causing that. His word shall be causing that. And that's what I said. The consequences of hearing the word of God, it should change you. Can we not see a lesson in all this? Are we anywhere near God's image? How many of us fellowshipping among God's people are hiding resentment, and bearing the seeds of bitterness against a brother because of some offense, or are we carrying a grudge or fear with envy? Envy? Are we communicating gossip? Are are these things acts of kindness, or do a forgiving spirit that delights in mercy enter in to act that destroys a brother's reputation and widen existing division? So. Maybe you're doing something that's contradictory to the Word of God, and you, how can I say this? There's no repentance ever being preached. In other words, you're not turning from self and examining self, and now you're gossiping and you're saying, Well, I'm just speaking the truth. Yeah, but in certain instances, you shouldn't even be doing that because it's not your truth to speak. God may have not given it to you to say these things. You're causing confusion, and God's not the author of confusion. So we have to judge our words because by our words, there's power of life and death, and some of those same words come back way in to judge us, and some things shouldn't be said, and that's why I was telling you on the way up here. I was careful in not speaking or saying some things because you ask God what to say and what not to say. But make sure the things you say comes from a motivation that God had given you to help that brother, to help that sister, to to be of good service. You're not growing weary of well-doing, but on the way up here, I may have been challenging your stewardship of the wisdom in the way in which you were spending your finances. Some things are not very profitable to us. One other phrase in Luke 178 shows the kind and tender nature of our God. It says, He visited us. And that's what we were looking at in that 11 verse. He shall feed the flock. God shall do this. In other words, you remember when Jesus says that they would believe on me through their word and bless them and all that hear them. 
So this is carried on orally. This is carried on preached, uh, 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 teached, uh, said, uh, the spoken word is passed down and it's profitable because it's the word of God and that's how it's carried on. That's the traditions of the way it's carried or whatever. And so God comes in the person of his word. That's why I say he sent his word to heal us. So that's why prophecy of the speaking of the word of God that's why he tells a preacher to proclaim. That's what preaching is, a proclamation of God's word. It's not for me to give you a personal opinion on today's news. And I was telling you about the shooting and the other thing. The instance that I was drawing from that is the state of mind of the feelings and how would the spiritual impinge upon those things. It's not dealing with one side of the issue uh, of dealing with the gun laws or anything else. It, it is just that, that God had visited us. Jesus Christ had came down in person and as a man to show us his tender care. He laid his divinity aside. God did not merely pity us from a distance, but nor did he allow his compassion for us to remain as an unresolved or inactive feeling because as I heard Tony Evans was saying one time or whatever, that God can't feel. God doesn't have feelings like that. Those anthropomorphic attributes and things that we attributed to God, God is a spirit. God is the head of the Godhead, but that's why he sent his son. See, God the Father's, let me say, let me not say different, but he sent his son as a man, in other words, the son was given so he could experience all these things you and I experience and go through as a man. That's why I say he's our high priest. He know how these things feel, whereas God doesn't know these feelings as a man. Jesus Christ knows how it feels to be rejected. Jesus Christ knows how it feels to be re- to be betrayed. He has, he has, he could feel our infirmities. That's what Hebrews was saying. We have a high priest that could be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. So he could identify with what we're going through. That's why we have to identify with Jesus Christ and get in touch with him. That's why he says, the comforter, the Holy Ghost, which was going to come in my name, the Holy Spirit, it was going to live in and dwell with you. So it was going to be something that would identify and talk with your spirit and communicate with that spirit. David writes in the book of Psalms, that 8th chapter and the 4th verse, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? That's what God did. What is so special about man that's different from the animals or different from anything that you had sought him out that you came down this thing almighty God is who God is to visit man and to live down here and interact with his creation they lay aside that deity so we have to see where the shepherd says he's going to feed his sheep now that's a penalty for rejecting your food uh, a lot of times you know I ask you several times had you had dinner had you had supper with See, because without a proper meal, without a proper diet, we can't function right. 
Not that we should live by bread alone, but it's a, a requirement that we have physical food. Those things are, are required. He says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. So Christ isn't so far from us that he's in us. He's in that's why we seek after God. And when we find God-fearing people and we hearing the word of God, it should inspire us. It should touch something in us. If we are born again, if we're being regenerated, that should inspire us to move. It should stir us up. That's what the proclamation of the gospel doing. What teaching, which is different, he said he'd given them pastors and teaching. Teaching more or less dissects it and lays it out in a different form. In other words, it's doctrine. It's instruction. But we know the, the letter kill it. It's the spirit that give it life. So the preaching and the proclamation of the word through the gospel, which is the good news, it quickens you and makes you alive. But we also have to study the word of God. Study to show ourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, to those that are of Abraham. He says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 2nd chapter 14 through the 18th verse. So I went through this so I could hold your hand and stand here. God sent me to put my hands and arms around you. He says, take up the lambs in his arms. It's something when you're in the hospital or whatever and a friend comes in and just sit with you. Or just put their hand up on you. Or just say they knowing what you're going through. Or just hold in there. Hold on or whatever. Sometimes that's what it is. God is in us to, to greet one another. To speak one another. I told you about exhortation and praise. To comfort and exhort. So and we're not hearing voices. The audible voice of God anymore. But what we're hearing is people speaking those things. He has come in the person of each and every one of us that are the seed of Abraham, that are children of God, to give life to the body of Christ, to go around speaking the word, to do the work of evangelism, to help one another when we're down and out. Sometimes we need somebody to give us life to, that's right here. In other words, we're not, when say living by faith, that faith that God had given us up uh, before church started, I said, well, turn on the air conditioning. Let me go around here because I was going, I was talking to my neighbor here and I was trying to give give her something for helping keep that fence line down. And she wouldn't take it. She said, you know, people are not like we used to be, help one another as neighbors helping one another. That we are put here to help one another. That we are put here to do. And, you know, I feel, and as me and her gets older or whatever, she's been a wonderful neighbor and a wonderful person. 
and you see what other people are doing. So sometimes we need to talk with one another and converse with one another. It's not good to be alone. But we have to strengthen one another and we have to seek out God's children, God's people. We're not going, shouldn't be going around here strengthening Satan's people, strengthening those that are not of the Word of God. We can use the Word of God to help as a sword to disarm them. That's what we are doing, disarming principalities and powers and pulling down the strongholds that Satan has. God has not merely pitted us from pitted us from a distance, but he has entered into our lives and on our level. He says, I will come and I'll dwell with you. So he's not a far off God to say, who's going to bring it down for, from heaven? Who's going to send up to heaven to get this? No, he's in us. That's why he came and he died and he sent a comforter to be with us. The creator stooped from his high and pure abode as a glorious God and yielded and veiled his divinity in a human body. He says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book in which it is written. He assumed our nature and was tempted in all things. He took our sickness and bore our infirmities, and now he's able to intercede for us. All of these things did Jesus do, and now he's our high priest, one that cradles his sheep and cares for his sheep. Uh, he did not enter into the, our world and yet maintain a status superior to us. And that's to the ones that calls him the God-man or whatever. Jesus Christ was a man. And he came as a man and that's what we should see him as a man because if we see him as a God-man, we see him as someone that can do something that we couldn't do. But he came as a man to show us that we have to have faith and trust in God and believe as he did, that his very life was as a man and that as men we can do what he did. That's why he laid the divinity to us aside. And he did it as a man. He was able to be sick. He was able to be tired. He was able to for God to lay all those infirmities upon him. So he identifies with that. So don't think that you're going through things that you can't call on your advocate with the Father to intercede, that he sees those transgressions. He knows about those transgressions. He knows about your shortcomings. And we pray to him and we talk to him, and he knows and he relates to us, and he brings us through because as sheep, that's why he calls us sheep, because as sheep, we're defenseless against the things of this world. We're defenseless. We trusting and cast all our care upon him. We depending upon him to get us through. Not one thing I can get myself through. Without him, I can't do anything. So if I think me getting angry and doing something, if, if I discard humility and dealing and tenderness and get all rambunctious with a conversation and being uh, argumentative and trying to rule, that it tell, Peter told the, 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 the preachers, he says, the shepherd God's flock, not by constraint. See, a shepherd should lead his sheep. He shouldn't drive his sheep. 
When you see someone driving the sheep, that's that's not a true shepherd. Uh, the sheep follow the shepherd. The sheep is closely attentive to the shepherd. He truly walked in our shoes and still went about doing good as we should do. We should go about doing good and uh, we shouldn't grow weary of well-doing. We should consistently do good in the face of God. Now, Christ, Paul adds in Galatians 1 and 4, <coughs> gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and the Father. Who knows how many individuals' acts of kindness from the conception of the plan to its fulfillment are contained within this simple statement. And if all the books in the world could be written of, of all the little things, the kindness and tenderness he did, he says, gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God. This is the heart of God's nature. This is what its nature is. And the sheep hears the shepherd's voice. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd. John 10, 1 and 6 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entered not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbing up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he that entered in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opened, and the sheep hear his voice, and he called his sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he put it forth his own, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, and a stranger they will not follow, but will flee. For they will know not the voice of strangers. That's why he says his sheep have been scattered, because so many preachers, so many churches are preaching doctrine that are foreign to what the hearers are hearing that are born again. They know that it's not the word of God and some of them give up going to churches or give up doing this because this is not the shepherd. This is not God saying that. We should be able to know the voice of God. Now, I didn't say know the individual preachers that's preaching, but that's why he tells us to preach the word. Is this the word that we're hearing? Is this sound doctrine? In other words, he says, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Feed the sheep. What to feed them? Feed them with the word of God. That's the necessary food. That's what strengthens the sheep. John 10, 27 through 30 says, But ye believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. And I and the Father are one. The sheep knows the shepherd. That's one thing. If you study the analogy of sheep, you could have ten different flocks of sheep. Put in a pastor, thousands of sheep. But when the shepherd calls his sheep out, only his sheep come to him. If there was 500 sheep in this sheepfold, and this shepherd only had 70 sheep, out of that herd of 500 sheep, only 70 is going to come to him. The other 430 won't come to him because they know the voice of their shepherd. That's why Paul was saying, 
that they were not of us because if I mean John said they were not of us or if they were of us they would have continued with us John 10:16 says I have other sheep in other words he's talking about the Gentiles beside these that are, are not of this fold I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and pay attention to my call and they will become one flock with one shepherd that's because wherever you may be, wherever you're scattered, if the word of God's preached, the word of God is Catholic. I tell you, it's universal. The preached word is the preached word. No matter who's preaching the word, the word is right anyhow, all by itself. So there's one flock. Those are the one shepherd, Jesus Christ, who's the true shepherd. He that had ears to hear, let him hear according to Matthew 11 and 15. But only God's people are given ears to hear God's word. That's why he says he would ears to hear. Because some hear, but they don't believe because God hadn't given them that capacity to hear. God has to give you that capacity to hear. That's why it says that it's not possible to deceive the elect. It's not possible if it were possible, the false prophets, the Antichrist, would deceive the very elect. But it's not possible because the elect know their shepherd. They won't be fooled. Matthew thirteen ten through 17 says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speaketh to thou in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to them it's not given. For whosoever had to him shall be given, and who shall have more abundance. But whosoever had not from him, he shall it shall be taken away. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And it says that's to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Because all of these in the church don't hear what's being preached. They hear words, but they don't understand the words. They're not able to function. They're not able to come to Christ because he's not calling them. He's not calling them. There's an elect that God chooses to call. Now, I have a few more scriptures to uh, talk about the elite, to talk about the nature of sheep. It look like I didn't ran into a time constraint here. Uh, 